Hi, this is John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and this is the Midwest Monsters Podcast. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. That's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh, like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable, but I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're gonna go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, but that's. <laughs> Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast, and now here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff. Hot Toddy. Venomous Vinny. Good to be with you again, folks. We are uh, coming at you this evening with a special edition. Special edition episode here. Uh want to do a little tribute um, to one of our favorite writer, directors, dudes, um, that passed away in the last year. Uh, we have done his zombie films on a previous episode, but now we want to just kind of open this up a little bit more to talk about the man, uh, maybe revisit some of those, get some opinions from people who weren't on those shows, and, uh, and talk about some of his other films. Of course, we are talking about the late, great George A. Romero. Um, <clears throat> let's just open it up here. Uh, how many of you have met the man? I have. I met George. I have. I have not. Well, thanks for being here. <laughs> uh, I know that I was actually with Todd when we met. Is that the only that's, time you met him? Yeah, that's that's when I met him. Yeah. I uh, I was <clears throat> planning on meeting him at Days of the Dead, and then he canceled due to health reasons and and passed away. Was it after the show? Not even a month after. Yeah. So, uh, would have totally met him again, um, if not. But that was this calendar year, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I thought it was. Was it summer? July. Yeah, that's 16th. right. The indie show. That's right. Okay, so um, just general impressions about the guy in, in meeting him. I love George Romero. Um, the meeting him, the experience uh, didn't change that at all. It was exactly uh, what I expected it to be, and, and what's drawn me to him and his work. Uh, more of my adult years is the family nature of his films. I love, you know, that he truly did it his way almost throughout his entire career. He wanted nothing to do with the, you know, the big studio system in Hollywood and the traditional ways of making movies. He wanted to make movies his way uh, with people that he trusted in locally. And although, you know, he was born and raised in the Bronx, he went to college in Pittsburgh and basically never left. And there was always this sense of loyalty that 
shines through in his films throughout because i mean you have so many reoccurring people and if you look at their filmography outside of romero they really didn't do much else so i mean it's not like he was plucking people from you know the entertainment pools of you know new york and los angeles these were people that he trusted in and created with locally and for the most part always kept it that way and i i think it adds such a charm to the films as well as going to visit you know what's become kind of like a horror mecca at this point with all that you can go see uh from filming locations and the little museum they've got set up in evans city it's a very intimate situation for fandom that you really can't get other places i mean for instance i love john carpenter equally like they're both just top dogs to me and carpenter had some reoccurring people but none of that is there that's not a fault against him it's just he's a different director and i think what made romero so special was that charm that he was always going to kind of do it punk rock it was always going to be kind of you know his his movie and he really didn't want interference and he didn't want to be wildly successful and even in the face of some things that I'm sure we'll cover as we go on, uh, where he, ha- he had chances to cash in a little bit more or missed opportunities where it, that should have made him rich in the first place, um, it really never altered him. And that's, that's something that I have immense respect for. And something as an adult viewer, I, uh, I wouldn't have appreciated the same way as a kid watching any of these movies. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I think for me, uh, when I met him, this is, uh, this is still kind of early when I, I first started going to conventions, uh, didn't know what to expect. Cause to me, this was like a huge idol, um, like, like kind of like a horror icon. Um, and, and you do hear bad stories. I was always told don't meet your idols cause they disappoint. And not only, uh, this weekend was Clyde Barker and George Romero. And, uh, both were just like completely like nice, normal like very respectful of everybody. Um, I will say when he stood up, I was I didn't expect him to be as tall as he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Like like every time I seen him, like even uh, even when he I guess he was sick, like he seemed always like just a large, healthy, healthy man. Um, I think we kind of talked a little bit about his zombie movies, um, and it was it was also one of the rare rare. Uh, I don't think I fully knew like the whole how screwed he got on Night of the Living Dead. Right. And uh, a poster I had bought, you know, I, I never really thought about it before, but to me, I, I paid for this product. I ordered it. You know, I never really thought about that. He probably didn't get paid for just like some of his other stuff. It was a huge wall poster and he kind of made a comment about it, but it was never really wasn't directed to me or like out of a remark. Um, and weirdly, either before or after us, there was a mm. the woman with the the corpse and whatever. What is it? Corpse girls and girls. And corpses. Yeah. And he just he refused to sign it, but he was still so polite to her. Offered her something off his table. He just explained that you know that magazine did that without his his consent, and he would never have consented to it. And and still, you know, never never rude to her. Very nice. Um. Yeah. Yeah, because of the whole thing. And we'll probably talk about that when we get to night, just briefly touch over it. I mean, like I said, we already did a, a zombie episode of his uh, about his zombie films, specifically just his. We did a different zombie episode about other zombie movies. But uh, we'll, bri- we'll, t- we'll briefly touch on some of these and then uh, uh, talk a little bit about that 
so that you know what we're talking about with him getting kind of screwed over with the rights and everything to Night of the Living Dead. Um, and and the last thing I wanted to add is uh, is Ryan kind of already touched on it, but the uh, rewatching these, I noticed like the relationships because like there's definitely man like when him and King worked together, for example, like there was just something special, and then a lot of recurring actors and, and makeup effects. And, and it really was like the same team. Um, and I don't know, like my first thought was like works well with others because, you know, some artists can't do that. And I think it kind of made Ramiro even more special because I mean, it, it was still like a lot of his creations, but you know, he never ever said like Night of the Living Dead is my film. It was always, you know, we had like this huge crew and like it was everybody made this movie. And, and I think that's why people liked working with him. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Definitely a big family-like atmosphere, like you talked about mm-hmm. earlier, behind them all. Yeah. Um, I'll just echo here. Uh, <clears throat> meeting Romero was a big deal for me. It was my first con, uh, and that's part of what got me there, was to meet Romero, because uh, Dawn of the Dead changed my life. <laughs> that sounds a little trite, you know? But like, as far as watching horror movies go... Um, yeah, I know Night of the Living Dead's awesome, and and you know watching it was was a big deal. But uh, I just don't think I'd ever seen anything like Dawn of the Dead before, and just the way that it handled the genre and the way that it handled the reality of what a zombie situation goes. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, watch The Walking Dead, and a reason why that it's so popular is because it's it's not a, an open and shut case and it shows the long term of what life would be like in a world where the dead rule and that's what i i loved about dawn of the dead nigh the living dead you still have hope because at the end the the, the, the parties of uh vigilantes are going around and killing all the zombies and checking on everybody but you've lost hope with Dawn of the Dead. You know, you're in this place. Uh, and we'll talk about more when we get there. But anyways, just that, his touch is what really made that film for me. And so uh, it was a big deal for me to meet him. And it's so funny too, because we, we, we complain about autograph prices these days and how people are through oh, the man. roof. And if you want to meet Billy Zabka from Karate Kid, he's I, still- Was he 30 <laughs> bucks? Is that what we paid for Ramiro? I think he was 25, 25, 30. 30 photo at the table. Yeah. I met him after the, after years later, um, at days of the dead culture shock. And he went up $5 yeah. as opposed to everybody else who pretty much doubled their price at that point from 20 to 40. And right. he was still, you know, this independent filmmaker, like pioneer, uh, was nowhere near the price of them. And yeah. I, I do want to add real quick, just because I didn't mention meeting him, um, how he was just very warm and it yeah. was everything I hoped it'd be. And we've all met tons of people at these conventions. He's one of the few where I actually thanked him for his work. You yeah. Know? And yeah. That, I'm not, I, I usually kind of just get in a groove with just kind of hollow pleasantries just to interact, uh, but not lay it on too thick. Cause I know they hear it all day long, sure. but with him, I had to say it. And obviously now doing this episode, I'm glad, glad I did, but he, he gave me the most sincere response. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to work towards. So thanks for stealing my thunder. But I didn't uh, say his response. <laughs> I'm just give you crap. Um, uh, sat down. What I loved about me, we waited forever 
Um, and, I mean, but I think by the time I got there, you and Mad Chan and Nicole had already been waiting. We were, an hour we were and in a, a line outside the building that wrapped around the hotel. Yeah. And so I think you guys had already been there an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Yeah, and you and, just came up and got in line with us. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yes. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I think we still waited another hour and a half. It was a, it was the a people long. behind them loved watching you walk up and get in line, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, it was more of the guy in front of us that was driving us nuts. Uh, good, good friend of yours there, Venomous Vinny. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and so anyways get in get to him and um just very personable very warm and that's why the line was taking so long because he wasn't rushing people through it wasn't a cattle call it was you got your moment i feel like he was asking questions of everybody and 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 that's rare for big celebrities there's there's been a few but they were kind of just as interested in like what who you are and what you did and yeah um so uh sat down with him and uh i just i said to him i said hey mr romero i just want to tell you that your films have really meant a lot to me you know your work has really meant a lot to me and like he he takes a like he he he, like sets the pen down from signing my autograph and just looks at me and says thank you that really means a lot to me and then he's like let's get a photograph together and he puts his arm around me you know and so it was just he's just a lovely man lovely man to me and just very thankful that uh, that was my that's my first con meet, you know. So that's my first con meet. I'll always have that. That was my first con. Um, he popped your cherry. He did. And the jealousy <laughs> of that for me is why I went to the next one. And you, sh- I, you show me the picture. I was like, what? Because <laughs> I'd never been to one. And for the listeners out there, uh, I'm not uh, out and professor or anything here. He's not nuts about crowds. It's not, yeah, that's no. a, I mean, a lot that's around a, a lot of people. And so, uh, yeah, seeing, seeing some of those the photos of folks I met at that first con, he was like, well, <laughs> anxiety phobias be damned. I'm yep. going to go meet George <laughs> Romero. Go throw me in. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my experience with Romero. Uh, Vinny, I know you hadn't met him. Is there anything overall you want to say about him? Uh, I would say that my... Uh... My interest or uh, familiarity with with Romero is probably a little more pedestrian than what the rest of you is. Um, I was mostly familiar with his his zombie films, as I think most people are. Uh, I never did get to meet him. Uh, I that last Days of the Dead that he was supposed to be at. That was one I was like, okay. And then of course he had to cancel. Uh, obviously, that's the meeting's not going to happen now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you you cannot deny the impact that he has had on the genre of horror, specifically the zombie zombie genre, of course. Uh, it's I would almost I would say it's almost a shame that it overshadows everything else that he's done. But at the same time, when you're in any end of the entertainment business. To become that well known for anything is kind of what you shoot for. Yeah. So it's great that he embraces. He's it got too. his greatest hits, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I enjoy the Romero films. But like I say, I think that uh, I think that my my interest and knowledge is a little more pedestrian than what everybody else at the table is. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's the thing too. As we get into the episode here, um, yeah, honestly, uh, he's got some other. Uh, Films that I do enjoy, but yeah, outside of that original zombie trilogy, um, I'm not as well versed in uh, some of his work as, say, uh, Professor and Todd are going to be. 
So there, there was new films I watched for 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 this podcast that I had never seen, mm-hmm. and there's still a couple I didn't get a chance to. But okay, but sure. Isn't there a sure in the sentence? I was like, I was like, and <laughs> I was gonna say, I there and were two, and there were two first time viewings that I did for this episode. I'd seen most of them, um, but a couple I checked off the list, which is nice. I always wanted to. Was it so. Ju- Juice on the Loose? The O.J. Simpson story? Uh, only only the features. <laughs> All right. Shall we dig in? I, I will. Quick little thing. Am, am I wrong? I, like, I didn't look it up, but didn't he work with, because um, it's Pittsburgh, didn't he work with uh, Mr. Rogers? He did. Quite a yep. bit, which makes sense that there are a few weird, like like doc, the documentary on like O.J. Simpson. And so he did. I don't know if this was something where he just between films or he loved working with like this kind of stuff, but yeah, in many ways, I think Mr. Rogers was kind of like uh, the gateway for many people that went on to have careers. Yeah. Well, I mean, locally they all, y'all, everybody wanted a gig there because mm-hmm. the show was such a big deal. Very cool. I didn't want to stop like night of the living dead to, to bring up <laughs> Mr. Mr. Rogers. So, gotcha. <laughs> so uh, whoever has the list, I think hot toddy has got uh, well, we can, his first feature. Of course was night of the living dead. 1968. I'm not familiar. Not familiar with that one? <laughs> Go on. Um, it's, it's a show that was spun off of The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, I mean, come on. I mean, like... I, th- I think... When I think Night of the Living Dead, and, and I think, you know, I I really didn't get a VCR until I was like 9 or 10. For me, I always think of Halloween, because Halloween always played, uh, you know, October, you could get... Uh, I, I, I think Sammy Terry did it all the time, but I remember like Night of the Living Dead would always be a staple on television during the month of Halloween. Three. And as you say, can you explain to the listeners why? Um, so um, I forget the original title. It was Night of the, the Flesh, Flesh Eaters. Eaters. And, which said George A. Ramiro's. With the copyright in the year yeah and and, and then you when, had to have on the title card. so when the title was changed um it as, was changed because there was already another film that they didn't know about correct well it was more a marketing thing they're <laughs> okay. like we're not gonna make money with a title like this and, you and, gotta and, ease it up a little and, bit and I, I feel that was accurate because night of the living dead is a strong title it sure is but when as you watch the film now you'll see that it just says night of the living dead and the copyright's gone george ramiro's name is gone there was a theater i think in new york that played it where it was noticed that, like right from the jump and once one print was out there you're done doesn't matter like they could try and cover their tracks all they want that was out there out of their possession it was never coming back so and and due to this fact um it kind of it, it just it became public domain um so kind of like uh it's a wonderful life being played all the time mm-hmm. because at one point it was public domain so tv channels ate it up um it makes me wonder if, if they didn't play it all the time, if it would be such a strong title, but I think it would regardless. Um, but I, I, you know, like again, not to go off branch, but it's a wonderful life. I realized, I, n- I always thought it was a huge movie. I never realized that it wasn't, yeah, that it was failure. because they kept playing huh. it because it's free mm-hmm. is when people started catching on to it. But uh, e- either way, it sucked for Ramiro and his team because it, it's, you know, a movie that like is, is to this day with like Walking Dead and, and other things. Oh, it's a cult. It's a classic. Not only is it yeah. a cult classic, it's a classic. And, and then the fact that when you buy a <laughs> bag of Halloween candy for a dollar, this movie is included in it now. <laughs> right. It's kind of, you know, insulting. But to, to fix that problem, Criterion is putting out a Blu-ray yep. 
like a legit Blu-ray. I'm really? sure Romero gets fifty years. Then they can get back on the copyright. So mm-hmm. the irony is, is oh. right after he passes away, the money can can start coming in for the movie. Which will at least go to his estate. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and not only that, but like I would I would rather have a legit legit yeah. release of, of Night Living Dead. Well, the the quality of copies is so varied with what's because nobody readily wanted, available. Yeah, nobody there. wanted to spend the money on it because you couldn't claim it. Like, uh, don't spend the money on the restoration because yeah. I can come in, take a copy of it, sell it on Blu-ray. I, I yeah. just bought the Blu-ray that we, we picked up for 10 bucks, and it's not even the best quality yeah. for, for a Blu-ray, but it was 10 bucks. But yeah, Scorsese came in, did this restoration, and they've sat tight until it's time that they can monetize on it. Cool. And so I've, that, uh, February. Of it's course, be awesome. I've been involved with, and I'm also interested in the, the horror hosting genre uh, of when, you know, local television markets had a character that would host and present horror movies in Indiana. It was Sammy Terry, but uh, this being public domain, ourselves included, everybody who's tried their hand at horror hosting has done Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. And I've even got a friend who his like his collecting thing that he does is he buys a copy of Night of the Living Dead from every horror host that he meets their version of them hosting it and that's oh. that's his collection so that's cool he's bought stuff off of all these horror hosts but it's all night of the living <laughs> that, is, dead. that is and anybody that has videos that's a horror host they do always from elvira to, oh yeah yep. yeah that's true i never yep so he buys a copy of night of the living dead, night of living dead house on haunted hill usually... every one of the horror hosts that's cool very cool uh we won't labor uh, belabor the point too much of night of the living dead because we did cover it on our romero zombie episode but uh, Todd, Vinny, you weren't on the episode. Anything you want to say about the film? Oh, wait, Todd, you were on. Never I mind. was, but I think I was highly drunk because I, I, I don't remember. And I, I, did, I did bring this up, but again, watching it, um, <sighs> intentional or not, and I know it wasn't because it was just the best actor for the job. Let's be real, 1968, the fact that a, a black lead led this yes. movie. And not only that, but his race was never brought up. Yep. Uh, he slapped the hell out of a white bitch. <laughs> um, and and, and again, regardless, I think I think I think this attitude carried out throughout Ramiro's career. Mm-hmm. Like it was never uh, he never cast people because he felt like they needed to be in the film. But at the same time, he, he had his movies were real world. They had different walks of life. Like so, when you're in, in Dawn of the Dead, there's not all white people. Um, you know, there are right. other walks of life in real life. Yep. And, and Ramiro did this, his entire films. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times, uh, dealing with controversial issues in most of his films, mm-hmm. definitely like as a sub, uh, subtext, sub, yeah, subtext, yeah. right. Yeah. Not too overt, but anything like that, but definitely, uh, just under the surface. Well, it's one of, it's, it goes along with the same thing that, you know, Marvel comics did in the 1960s as, is, is using a fantasy format to disguise social commentary yeah. and sneak it in on the public without people being up in arms as you're being preachy because you've got it wrapped in this, in this genre. Uh, for me, it may as well be a universal classic to me as far as horror movies goes is where the, the history and the genre <laughs> goes. Uh, this is a go-to for me with, my kids, when they, you know, at various ages, when you start introducing them, Night of the Living Dead is there pretty early on for them. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. I don't know what you can say about it. That hasn't been I, I love, too, that it's – and it was probably a money issue. I love that it's in black and white because it, it could have been in color at this and point. And it's been colorized. It, to me, though, I can't – it's just I, – I need the black and white one. That's that's Oh, yeah. Me. I've never seen this in color. If I want to watch it in color, I'll watch the remake. Yeah, I'll watch Savini's. Yeah. I think the irony of, of the public domain situation is it helped build his legacy. Sure. In the long run. I mean, that was just a backbreaker initially um, because, I mean, he's got, you know, what, four movies in between his next zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of commercial success with these films. So, I mean, at the time, you have to think, like, how horrible that must have been sure. just to lose all that money. It's and then the movie after movie after movie, you're trying to do different things. And people are like, ah, kind of like that horror movie you made. Uh, you know, with the first couple. And so he starts getting back to that. But, I mean, they're still commercially their failures. And so you have to wonder at some point how often is he going, maybe I need to move to L.A. But he didn't. And and that's something important that I, I do want to point out there is that, you know, in the long run, the irony of it is, is because it was always free and popped up in these collections and on TV, it is now a staple because of that. Now, that's not to say it wouldn't have been if, sure. it, if it had been the right way, but we don't know. Right. So, I mean, I think the one positive there is, you know, just millions of kids have, have been scared by this because they had access to it because it's always been everywhere. And so, you know, again, I, I would have and I'm sure he would have much rather had the money up front. But but the irony of it there is that it's helped cement the legacy while he continued to make movies, that in and of itself, even if he'd never made another movie and just got screwed on the money, I mean, it's just it's become a staple, especially around Halloween time, because you've got that black and white movie. But for a young, uh, unseasoned viewer, it's not an ancient movie. There's still a modern sense to it that makes it a little bit easier for a young person to consume. And so, and the, and the only other thing, because we covered these movies, I was on the episode, obviously, is I do just want to point out the importance of independent cinema happening there at Evans City Cemetery, where yeah. we opened that movie, and how that just changes everything. And I mean, and we're going to go through these movies, and we talk about how great he is, but to me, that is a number one. All of the other charm and talent is great, but that right there gave kids across the country the hope and interest of hey, I could get a camera and do this. Yeah, You know what I mean? Because it, it started locally. And uh, Chili Billy, Cardile pushing that movie locally, that thing did not blow up everywhere all over the place. It was, you know, it kind of just grew uh, in, in almost with a mythos around it. And so I love that he truly didn't need Hollywood for that. Yeah, And I mean, to and if you get the chance, go out and visit the cemetery. And you just think of that while you're standing there. Like just this random cemetery in this small town changed everything for movies yeah and i just i think that's that's something that i i know we've mentioned before but when we're remembering the guy on this episode i wanted to make sure i stress that again and i think one last point on on night is that again because of the public domain it's in a lot of horror movies that like and i think that might have been what regenerated his career but like i don't think it's in halloween but halloween 2 uh it's used in and and a lot of other films just because like everybody was aware of the title or they loved it and they, they threw it in. Well, and that's another important point to make too, is that it's so funny that this film, Night of the Living Dead, you know, it was monumental and it changed a lot of things, but it was still more accessible than a lot of his other films would be. 
yeah. as far as like for a general audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guarantee all of us, our, our dads and our uncles, all know Night of the Living Dead, but none of them probably gave a single shit about Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's fair because it became a much deeper, richer story. Whereas Night of the Living Dead, though deep and rich and full of meaning, uh, it was still something that the general public could accept, access. And then you know these other films. Come I don't. Out I don't and they're like, I remember hey, 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 dumb dumbs like it. Well, and it pushed boundaries <laughs> at the moment too. I watched Don and Dave recently and with my dad and the original, yeah. and he had never seen either one. And it, it's it was recent that we watched them, and he's you know well, of course he could have watched them and was just stoned at the time, but <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't remember it. <laughs> so that's I think that's an important point to bring up too is that you know you think about a generation uh, of our parents' generation and they've all seen Night of the Living Dead and they know it. But I'll bet a fraction of them have seen Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. and very true, a fraction of a fraction. And and have and, seen and Dawn Day was you know yeah. like a decade later, so it's yeah. it's a new generation. Sure. sure. But uh, I think I think moving on, if we just combine a few, uh-huh. there uh, 1971, there's always Vanilla, 1972, Season of the Witch, and then 1973, they're crazies. Um, I know for me, I still haven't got to see uh, There's Always Vanilla. Season of the Witch I watched last night. I still don't know what I watched. Oh, man. I watched that one, too. <laughs> Professor Shirley, you watched it. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it, Vinny? I could not get my hands on it. No. It was on that jump drive I gave you. <laughs> not when I went back to look at it after I was here the last time it wasn't. <laughs> he watched the Nick Cage version. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's uh, bizarre. Wow, very bizarre. And then, honestly, I've owned the crazy since the remake came out. I have. I opened it for this. <laughs> So I had never seen the crazies before either. I've um, only seen the remake. I haven't seen the original. I I, I prefer. I, you know, I don't say this a lot. I prefer the remake, but uh, I it feels like a weird. Uh, it, it touches on Night of the Living Dead for me, but it's it's not zombies. So yeah, I I think that one had to do with uh, people coming back from Vietnam changed was the point of it. Oh okay yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely prefer. Uh, uh, they still have the Ramiro touch. I just, I don't know. They, they weren't my, my favorites. Season of the Witch. I'm still confused on what I watched. To be, to be quite real. So, Season of the Witch to me was another social commentary film about these bored housewives, kind of like Rolling Stones' song "Mother's Little Helper." You know, like it's just the, this idea of um, these upper crust, rich old white ladies. And their their lack of enthusiasm for society, and she's got her friend that's wanting to get drunk and try the drugs, and like they just have nothing. And so this lady, uh, you know, that whole intro where she's being led around by a leash, you know, her husband makes her feel like a dog, and um, so she turns to witchcraft. <laughs> so that's what gets us <laughs> in the horror genre here is that she turns to witchcraft. Uh, and just... I mean, we've all been there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Am I right? So she turns to witchcraft to try and. I don't know, to break out of this this way that she's feeling. And she's also, it's like sexual liberation because she uh, cheats on her husband with her daughter's boyfriend. And like, it's a weird film. It's definitely... The, it's the, the nightmare drama. scenes, though, I will say, the nightmare scenes were effective. Yeah. And uh, anytime there was outside shots with the fog, it did have that, the Night of the Living Dead feel. Sure. Professor, anything you want to say about The Witch? I'll just go through the three he mentioned real quick. Um, With There's Always Vanilla, has anybody else watched this one? No. Okay, so I'll just... Fill us in. I love vanilla ice cream. (laughs) Me too, girl. Is this the vanilla ice story? (laughs) So, 
this isn't horror at all, so I'm was not going to cool cool spend much time on it. You guys like, you yep, got it all yep. out? We all good? <laughs> so, There's Always Vanilla was his immediate attempt to branch away from horror. It is a romantic comedy and drama. Um, it's, it's a swing and a miss in many ways. It's interesting because you can tell that he is a fan of European film. Yeah, That's clearly a lot of the influences that's going on with this because... You basically have the male disenchantment at this point in time with returning home from either striking out, from coming back from war, and you have the female in the relationship who's got all this potential, and she can't wait to get out to this big, wide world of of things that she's interested in. And so you kind of have this intersection with this relationship that that we kind of see from its inception, and it's... And it's about basically just that. He's come home. He's met this girl who's ready to get the hell out of there. And you just kind of go through the motions of the relationship. There's some humor and satire to it. Um, But at the same time, unless you are truly wanting to go through his filmography, especially in a horror podcast, I really don't recommend this to everyone. Uh, It's not a horrible movie, but this is more, you know, important to me just in noting him trying different things. Yeah. Um, so that's basically what I have to say on that. It it reminds me of a lot of the the French New Wave and early '60s films with relationships and the the kind of you know bouncy uh, liberated couples out on the you know and sure. just the the intersections of, of difference that they have. I mean that's basically the whole crux of the movie. Did this yeah. have a young Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks in it? <laughs> it <No>? did. <laughs> but no, I mean that's a good point because I mean we are because he's also here. He's dealing with. Not taboo, but things that are changing, right? Uh, societally, because um, and within the modern era, uh, you've got like you know the the white picket fence and uh, chicken in every pot sort of World War II image, and then the '60s comes in and it changes everything. So that's also going to change everything in cinema, yeah, as it relates to how society is changing um, and how what how it's portrayed in film. Yeah. So he's on. basically yeah exactly. He's he's taking things from European films and blending them in with kind of the climate of the country and kind of saying, you know, like almost a bitterness from, from males uh, at the same time with all of this newfound uh, confidence and movements going for females. And so he takes that and isolates it right down into a relationship. And so, I mean, it's pretty entertaining for that. It's, it's also got basically confessional, uh, breaking down the wall within talking to the camera, which at the time was pretty innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something interesting to see from a filmmaking standpoint for this guy making a second feature yeah. that he's continually trying to break the mold and do different things. Um, so, I mean, if you if you really want to watch all his movies, check this one out. It, it's been relatively impossible to, to get in the past. It is now part of the Arrow box set that was Arrow recently put, put out. out. Yeah, um, They put out uh, from, from Night to Dawn, the problem is they're missing the best movie that he made in between those with Martin. That's fine. Uh, long story short, the guy that has the rights to Martin is impossible. And that's why Dawn of the Dead's out of print on Blu-ray. Same with Martin not having a Blu-ray. So hopefully that changes down the road. Because, I mean, you have to get to a certain point where you realize, I'm not going to make any money if I don't become a little bit more reasonable. Fans need these movies. Sure. Um, but uh, Season of the Witch, the thing with this that, that did confuse me about it is I feel like it struggles with being a feminist film and sat satirizing yes it and yes. that's my biggest complaint with it I felt like it was a little muddy uh, in terms of 
just that. I mean, it, it sympathizes with kind of her existence and how mundane it is. Um, but it also seems like it's poking fun at the actual libera liberation that, uh, man, I'm trying to read what's going on over there. Uh, <laughs> that it, it, it's actually poking fun at the insincerity of, of what she's doing yeah. and, and her, you know, liberation. It's just like, oh, that's cute. You know, you're yeah. in your neighborhood and you found something to make you feel good about yourself. Right, right. And so, and I mean, it kind of dances around to, uh, I think the more effective thing that he accomplishes with that film is kind of poking fun and telling people to chill out about religion and how mm. so many things are similar. Right. And maybe you're not that different. Right. Than the, than the next guy. And, and, you know, there's no need to be hateful. And I, I thought that that inadvertently accomplished more with that than it did really what it set out to do. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's interesting enough. Sure. Um, it's it's not anything I'd put up towards the top of my list of his movies <laughs> I to don't watch. I don't plan on rewatching it. Yeah, I mean, that's also, again, included in that box set. And then just lastly, uh, The Crazies. That is a true blue Vietnam movie. Um, it is talking about, you know, the, the government just stirring this shit up making it worse and then leaving them to deal with it. Mm. Um, the other interesting thing with that, besides it just being the, you know, the lack of trust, you know, for the government um, is not only is it filmed in Evan city where the cemetery from night of the living dead is. So if you go visit that, you can see the main drive. I mean, it's yeah. all filmed around in this tiny little town above Pittsburgh there. Um, but it also is a blueprint for Dawn of the dead mm. and why Dawn of the dead is so much better. Yeah. So when you watch this, you can kind of see him finding his groove. It's not quite there yet. The Crazies is not the easiest watch. Right. It's not the most effective at times, um, which is why I think the remake was a good idea mm -hmm. because it's it's quite aged. It's not a bad movie at yeah, all though, it's, either. It's not horrible, but it's 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 rushed. It feels like he doesn't have what he needs to make the movie, um, but at the same time. It's kind of long, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, the, the, the most interesting thing out of these movies um, for me is pairing them with future works. Mm -hmm. So you could pair Season of the Witch with Martin and you can see some things where he's finding his footing and getting better at it and doing it again in a different story. Yeah. Same with The Crazies, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So I mean, that's my rundown of those three movies, um, you know, Especially Season of the Witch and the Crazies are worth watching at least once if you're really interested in sure. him and a horror fan. Uh, there's always Vanilla. You really got to be wanting to check off every feature <laughs> he's got to go after that one. Todd, anything you want to say about Season of the Witch or the Crazies? I, I'm good on, I think I said my piece. All right. Sorry for not breathing for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> um, moving on then, we go to 1978, which is Martin. Martin. All right, uh, let's let's give uh, old Venomous Vinny a chance to talk here. This ain't gonna take long. <laughs> Did you watch the Martin Lawrence thing? <laughs> yeah, so I, I watched uh, several seasons of Martin before I realized. Oh, no. embarrassing! Uh, Rog. Yeah, boy, is my face red. Uh, I watched Martin. I actually I had never seen it. Uh, I watched it on YouTube. The full movie was on YouTube. Uh, Martin? Yeah. Didn't I give that to you? I don't know. If you did, it wasn't on there when I got it back. <laughs> You're kind of on acid, boy. Uh, so anyway, I, I was able to watch it on my TV, though. All right, there you go. Uh, so anyway, um, I watched it and immediately fired off a text message to the professor and Grizzly. 
that nobody warned me because it starts my favorite way. Rapey as hell. <laughs> Nothing puts me off a film faster than getting rapey. And Martin wastes no time. Zero time. A getting rapey. Uh, so it soured me from the get-go. From there, uh, it wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. Nothing resonated with me for me with it. Um, oh, and somebody picked my heart up off the floor. <laughs> hey, you like what you like, you know? Um, you it's like, funny because it's you like. Ray. I thought I thought that this was a documentary about Professor Wagstaff, <laughs> <laughs> along uh, with along with Fade to Black. You know? <laughs> the, the only note I wrote other than rapey was uh, <laughs> yeah. Glad that bring, makes you think of me. <laughs> the only note I wrote other than that was. Uh, uh, his the dude who's he's living with him, the shop guy is that his uncle or whatever? Yeah. Uh, looks like the dude from Jurassic Park banged Boss Hog. <laughs> that's all I got. And then made some Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> so that's all I got. It wasn't for me. Uh, I just, okay. So Vinny like doesn't say, like rape. All right. We it'll got put that. yeah. It'll put me off. That will put me off a movie fast. So. <laughs> Well, nothing draws me in faster <laughs> than, than rape. Um, hey, girl, I, I actually brought this out for uh, for Halloween. It was my first time viewing. Um, I, it's kind of a movie I always wanted to see, to be honest. Uh, I don't know why I never watched it in the past. Yeah. Now it's because it's hard as fuck to find, so I had to pick up a bootleg. Um, popped it in. I actually really enjoyed it. To be to be honest, if if I had the money. And I was producing a film, and I wanted to remake a movie. I would probably choose Martin to remake mm-hmm. for today. Uh, but I think it's a uh, one of his earlier strong pictures taken away from Night of the Living Dead. Um, and, and you know, it's kind of a crazy concept because it's just uh, a guy that literally believes he's a vampire, and and the extremes he's going to do it. And and uh, if you haven't seen it at this point, I'm sorry, but you know almost 40 years spoiler alert but the 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 ending with like the staking which how else are you going to end this guy but like like it was just uh it was almost like watching like a documentary on professor <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna make y'all explain that here in a little bit nope no nope. not nope. after the trans world <laughs> so <laughs> this is my first time watching martin and uh I enjoyed it. Um, very interesting. I love that his uncle, the shopkeeper, keeps calling him Nosferatu. <laughs> and he says, I am not a vampire. I am your cousin from Indianapolis. <laughs> you know? Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, whether he's a vampire or not, I don't think we ever get that real answer. I mean, do you guys feel like... I felt I felt like he was... I He just... To me, it was real world. He was not a vampire. Yeah. There was not a supernatural vampirism, yeah. but he was a vampire in that what he did. But like he, he didn't eat a cockroach off the stove old. like Nick Cage, but... Um, I like uh, a few things. Uh, this also uh, ties in with Season of the Witch and the fact that um, he's fooling around with another lonely housewife. That is, uh, that is one of the craziest scenes is where he goes to, to oh get the woman God. by herself. She's like, he, I don't know. Because her husband's left. Yeah. And yeah, and she's having an affair. Oh, yeah. That's so scary. That's so nuts. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get out of here. She's like, I don't know who that is. Because she's having an affair with And he thought else. it was her he husband. Yeah. And he thought it was her husband. That was a crazy. No, I wasn't just, expecting that at all, to be honest. No. The tension from that. 
man, that, I wrote tension in caps. Like I was like, whoa, this is nuts. And that it was like a 10 minutes. Did, did you ever like, I feel like this is like a, if we could see scream from the killers POV. Yeah. Cause they're, they're usually scrawny guys in, in the scream costume. I feel like that's this movie. Cause he's, he's in another room. Like that dude could have beat the shit out of him. Right. And it's, it is. It's like not only is it freaky because he's in the house to kill her, but then it's like you kind of feel for him because he's like this weird, awkward, tiny guy, and this dude's getting ready to beat the fuck out of him. And and even the house, I think the housewife definitely could have took him if he. Uh... <laughs> but uh, you know, um, I like that he's calling into the radio show mm-hmm. and talking. I think I think we get elements of that in Psycho Four. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, that's Psycho Four kind of pays homage to this. We get with that. elements of that in Bruiser later on. Yeah. Oh, look at you being fancy, like you watched something for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, yeah, this the crazy part where he just gets fucking staked at the end of the film. Um, I like this movie. It's it's definitely not my favorite, but it was a good movie, and I'm glad I watched it. And it was, it had Romero's fingerprints. I'm glad on. that I watched it to say that I watched it. Oh, don't backtrack now. But. It's not something I'm gonna watch again. It's not one of my favorites, but I I would watch it again down the road. Yes, sir. I would say, zombie movies, creep show, and this yeah. for me. This would be in terms of my favorites. Um, it's his favorite film. He said that numerous times. Romero did mm-hmm. that. Martin was his favorite film. Um, I think that it possesses what he was best at. I actually read this. This was in. Um, the essay that's included in the new arrow box set where it says Romero's superpower is creating a cynical universe with a heart. And I think that's just a hundred percent spot on accurate for his, his films and why we love them. Um, especially the zombie movies. Uh, but you know, it was kind of the same situation with this. I think that this, this was on the brink of being like masterful, Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't fully realized. And this is still, um, early enough in his filmmaking, um, but we're starting to get right towards the cream of the crop for him. But I think we're, it's just, it's so close. I think the movie, I think it's excellent. I think the, the, the stretching of resources is beyond impressive. The score to it is great. It's still worth buying on vinyl for mm-hmm. this little independent film sure. from 40 years ago that most people haven't heard of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I think it's a low budget gem. I think there is, uh, you know, I think it's ambiguous at the end, but I do believe that he is not a vampire. I think he is a lonely kid with an imagination and uh, some problems. And I think that it's interesting to take a look at um, how viewing him incorrectly costs him his life, mm-hmm. uh, almost like for, you know the angry mob mentality. <laughs> except no, we've not. just got. Uh, you know, Colonel Sanders doing it on his own. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I think that it's, it's just another example that shows how intelligent of a filmmaker he was. Um, but this is one I would recommend to anyone um, who has even a little bit of interest in seeing something from Romero besides the ones that everyone knows. Um, but yeah, I love Martin. This was the second time viewing for the cool. show for me. All right. All right. So also 1978 was the first sequel that he did, which was Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> I thought just I nobody's try, seen it. Just I try to make that as awkward as possible. What's that? Uh, I already I already gushed about it earlier. Dawn of the Dead is uh, will always hold a place in my top ten horror films. Um, my favorite zombie movie, probably my favorite Romero movie. 
Uh, no, without a doubt, my favorite Romero movie. Um, just a hell of a movie. I think I think this sums up Romero films because it's it's scary, it's gory, it's funny. It, like it, it kind of has a little action adventure. Like it has crazy stunts. Uh, I think this is the first time that because Savini didn't get to work on Night because he went to Vietnam. Right. So Savini's right up in this at this point. And of course, Savini was in Martin acting. Yeah, with, no, with Sans mustache. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't have much to say about this because I've already guessed about it. Uh, yeah, I think something I might not have mentioned in the past. Um, rewatch it. I feel like this is a zombie movie in Technicolor. Yes. Like the zombies are crazy color. I think it was kind of, I'm not sure, they almost were more green or gray. Blue, blue. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But blue, it, yeah, it was yeah. like watching a zombie pick in, in, in Technicolor. Yeah. I was in my 20s before I saw this. and uh, I thought you were going to say when it came out. I was like, oh, <laughs> no. Before I ever saw it. He's uh, 84. He's 84. <laughs> and that was, a, that was you know, a guy in his early 20s with no money and a library card. You know? Uh, and I remember... And you obviously wa- didn't read. <laughs> and I didn't movies. read. Who does that at the library? <laughs> so uh, I watched it, and I remember... What what I was impressed with 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 the movie was was the concept of people finding a way to live in a mall that would have everything that you needed uh, in the, in the middle of this zombie apocalypse, and that was the first time that I was really introduced. Well, number one, it shows them able to somehow piece a life together, where there's they they get some normalcy out of where they're living. They and, and then the the more serious threat to them was how other human beings were reacting. Sounds like a TV show. It. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Weird, right? But that was what impressed me so much about the movie when I watched it the first time around and left left such a long-lasting mark. And, and you love Universal movies, and I think that touches every Universal picture where the monster's really not the bad guy, it's it's the humans. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the zombies were just, I mean, like, they kind of took care of the zombies. Yeah, they they had their fake wall built up. They, yeah. were, they were good. They were living. Yeah, they kept like, them out. Just yeah. Then shows up but motorcycle then shows gang. Up your fellow Damn man. Damn Savini. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. That, it, and I, I, I will, I, I'm still always perplexed of the guy that puts his arm in the blood, the blood pressure cuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, uh, it's a great scene because it's so cool, but why would you do that? Just because the world's gone to shit doesn't mean your health has to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Was he just trying to check his BP before uh, he didn't realize zombies were that close? Or? Yeah, I think so. Anything you want to say, Professor? Uh, I, you know, we covered it, I loved it. Yeah. Still do. Always will. That yeah. this and uh Day of the Dead are one A and one B for me. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Next pick, probably uh really briefly. I haven't seen it, but Knight Riders nineteen eighty one. Um, if anyone has anything to say. I watched the thir- first thirty minutes. Okay. And I think you all got my frantic messages <laughs> on Facebook. I was like, Oh God, this is two and a half hours. Is this even horror? Should I watch this? Um <laughs> And Professor Very Calm walked me through this. Um, it's not a horror film. Um, I did enjoy the 30 minutes I watched, but I was on a time crunch. I, I, yeah, I do play a lot of movies. To get I do plan on that. watching this because, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, and, and, and even more than the vanilla, like this is this is a must watch. Yeah, eventually. it's a neat concept. So many people are in it. Um, and yeah. I love David Hasselhoff. So. Don't hassle the <laughs> Hulk, bud. 
so I yeah, so I I like the first thirty minutes, and I plan on finishing watching it. Professor, I believe you're the only one who has who has watched. Yeah, I'll just briefly mention. Um, it's it's a weird experience, and it almost feels like a, a bizarre parallel universe because you have like this whole troop that you know from these other films mm -hmm. doing something completely different and non-genre related. Um, it's This is uh, one I would recommend even to horror fans, even though it's not horror. I think it's uh, entertaining now. It is way too long. <laughs> this thing needed a, needed edited way down. Yeah. Um, he Two knows, and a half yeah. hours. And Romero has said numerous times in interviews how he believed in letting stories <laughs> breathe and continue without having, you know, executives chopping out segments of it. Uh, but even he has kind of walked it back a little on this one and said, yeah, should have trimmed this one down. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's too long, but um, I will say this, the, the the selling point for it, what to me is most interesting about it is you could look at it as semi-autobiographical in the sense of this is Romero and his people making movies they just want to be left the hell alone yeah. and keep being good I could at see it. That. And to me, that is what is most interesting about it because you've even got them traveling out here in our same region around Pittsburgh. And while they're a traveling mid little medieval group that do the shows with uh, motorbikes and all that, mm -hmm. it, it's to me, it, it represents filmmaking and them doing their thing out there because in this movie, you have forces come in with money mm -hmm. and want to change the show. And while he would never directly own it, he said, yeah, it's kind of about me. And so that, to me, in and of itself, makes it interesting. Now, it's also just such an odd concept that it makes it entertaining, <laughs> especially with Ed Harris up in the mix. And uh, Tom Savini was straight acting. For so. those of you listening who have never seen it, it's about a traveling renaissance fair on motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> they do jousting on motorcycles <laughs> and battle on motorcycles. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the other thing of note with this is you can tell that his communication with his performers is getting better. The acting in it, the, there's strength in the performance that's mm -hmm. coming through. And that's nothing against Dawn or Martin or anything before. It's just you can tell that he's starting to tap in more with focusing on yeah. nuances of performers. Sure. But yeah, an interesting watch. I would recommend this to pretty much anybody. Cool. All right. 1982, uh, we get the first pairing with him and Stephen King, just creep show. Uh, Todd and I uh, were on an episode with Mad Chan where we did Creepshow 1, 2, and 3 and Tales from the Dark Side. Um, the, the unofficial Creepshow. Yeah, my, my only note for this as, as I rewatched it was that I want to see Ed Harris and Crispin Glover have a dance-off. Yes, yes. <laughs> Crispin Glover from uh, Friday Five. And then I didn't realize Ed Harris no, was four. part of Knight, Ra Knight Riders. So I would say Knight Riders probably was the first, like Savini's back. Ed Harris I didn't realize, and then he's in Creepshow, so... This is probably where the 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 family and like the the continual working with and then like you know first Stephen King, but as we know, there's more. I'll just say briefly because I was on the episode. Uh, you can go back and listen to our Creep Show episode, but I love Creep Show one and two. So uh, this is awesome. Yeah, nothing this, changed. Yeah, this is this is Romero. This is some of his finest work. So, uh, Vinny or Professor, uh, with Creep Show, I wasn't on the episode. Um, I love it. Just as you said, Creepshow one and two are a great time. They're cream of the crop, top tier anth horror anthology movies. Yeah. Um, it also is uh, fun to see, you know, a few times where uh, Romero got to step into a little bit of a bigger, bigger situation mm -hmm. um, with you know the success of Stephen King involved. 
and um, the, the product is great. And you know it's great if it is a two-hour anthology movie, and that's okay. And you don't feel like yeah, it at all. because when you look at the runtime, you're like, huh. I mean, it never feels like it. No, it never it's, doesn't uh, drag at all. It, it's a great one. I, you know, I won't spend time going through the segments that you guys already covered it, but it's definitely right up there. It, it's probably his best work behind the zombie movies. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an absolute blast. Also forgot to mention when you're talking about Stephen King, he plays a dipshit fan in Knight Riders. He is in oh. the movie with his wife, Tabitha, and he now basically you know. is sitting out watching them perform drinking beer and heckling them. So you get a Stephen King. Is that in the first 30 minutes? Yeah. He's I felt like I saw, I was like, yeah, it looks like Stephen King. That's him and his wife Tabitha yep. out there. And at one point he's finally just laying on his back with his belly showing. <laughs> yep. Yep. I do yeah. remember that. Creep show's great time. Uh, Venomous Vinny. Uh, I, I love the creep show movies. Uh, I'm a big fan of horror anthology movies. Like I, I don't know what it is about them, but I just absolutely love it. And and to me, this is probably the first time I ever saw them, saw horror anthology, and probably what made me fall in love with the concept as a whole. So yeah, just really enjoy the movies. I won't waste time on it. We got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. If I had to put you two on the spot and you had to pick Creep Show one or two, what would it be? Which one's got the one with the raft in it? Two. Okay, it's two for me. I would say <laughs> one is a better film, but I would pick two solely based on nostalgic reasons. Yep. I watched the raft when I was a kid, and it yep. blew my mind. Yep. Yeah. All, yeah. I still say one. Yeah. Well, you're entitled to be wrong. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> uh, 1985, we get the third part of the Dead trilogy. Uh, well, the original trilogy, Day of the Dead. I'll just say real briefly, not much has changed since... Uh, the original podcast that we did on these um this movie's so good it's so dark it's it's just so again i think that your your crowd that had seen night of the living dead and loved it and if they tried to watch this and they weren't like real horror fans would have been horrified <laughs> to yeah. see what what it's become and it's just yeah it's a masterpiece it's, it's definitely a master and honestly night of the living dead is is my third favorite of the original trilogy. It's Dawn Day and then Night. So this movie's awesome. And and again, I, I talked in the previous episode, so uh, I would say the only thing to add is Nicotero is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, a lot of the last few seasons of Walking Dead, because he's directing more, there's so many throwbacks from Day of the Dead yeah. in Walking Dead, which I love. Yep. Like uh, like the, the getting thrown back and then just being ripped apart while you're still alive. Yeah. Um, so I love that they are they are throwing some of the the cool kills and and Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, Vinny, you you weren't on the the zombie episode. Um, I feel I like this movie. Uh, I feel like some of the acting is way hammy in this one though, like sure. way over the top hammy. Um, talking about the alligator. Talking about Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about old boy, the the military guy. What, what's the old boy's name? Bub, uh, Bud. The the, no, the Bud the Chud. No, no, no. not Bub, <laughs> not Bub. The, the Joe Paladino or whatever. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Trump Jr. I've got a small, I've got a soft spot for this movie because of Lori Cardill who plays Sarah. Um, number one, there's a connection there because her dad, Bill Cardill, aka Chili Billy, was a horror host oh, in Pennsylvania. That. I know him, but I didn't realize. Uh, he was the newscaster in the original Night of the Living Dead, uh, as well as the remake. And George Romero credited Bill Cardill with a lot of the success of Night of the Living Dead were... because he pushed yeah, it. Because he put it on that 
yes. his local hosting um, all the time. I, uh, we mentioned before, worked on a show, Freak House Flicks, where we were horror hosts. I at Horror Hound, I got I got to be part of inducting Chili Billy into the Horror Host Hall of Fame, and Lori happened to be there as a guest, and she accepted on her dad's behalf. Um, and so I went and met her afterwards, uh, out of makeup and introduced myself to her. And she was the absolute sweetest woman I've ever met in my life. Uh, I wanted to get an autograph. I'm not a big autograph hound, but I wanted to get one because, uh, there was a personal attachment. I know to you pushed me. when she was at that last show that we should sure meet her. Did. And I'm glad you did. She, uh, Cause she was pretty awesome. So I entered, I just said, hey, I'm the guy who introduced your dad. I'm out of makeup now. I just want to say hello. She was super sweet. And I said, I want to go ahead and get an autograph. And uh, I picked a picture. And as she, as I reached for my wallet, she pulled me in because there's a line of people. And she says, there's no way I'm taking your money. Aww. She was super Aww. nice. And then uh, this last year at Days of the Dead, she was a guest again. And, uh, of course, her dad has passed away. Uh, and I waited until she was slow. And I walked up and said, hey, you know, I just wanted to. You know, I inducted your dad a few years ago when we had met, and I just want to come over and give you my condolences. And she was got up out of her chair and was all hugs. Not only that, she still is charging like thirty bucks with an autograph, with a photo at the table. And I do, I push it to everybody. I said, friends of mine who I know are autograph guys, like, look, if you're gonna meet somebody, go meet Lori Cardell. She is the sweetest woman on the planet, she was great. and she's reasonably she priced. Up. You won't regret going over. And and taking the time. To yeah, she was her. another celeb that was very personable with you. Like, again, she was just as interested in meeting yes. you as you are her. So that movie has a special place for me be, because of the Lori connection. Uh, but but I still enjoy the film. I think it's a good film, even though at par- at times I think it, it's a little hammy. All right. Um, it's my favorite. Just by a pinch. And honestly, ask me next week, it might be Dawn. I go back and forth on them. I just, I love them both so much. Um, I think that it's where everything fired on all cylinders. It's aged well. Everything still looks great. Um, The special effects are just top notch. You got the future um, and the present kind of working together on that film in terms of special effects. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves Bub. I mean, it's it's a good time. And I, I totally see, you know, I can make the same arguments for Dawn if you ask me to, but... If I had to pick, this would probably be just by a hair. I just think, I just think he nailed it. I, I, you can tell that there's restraint with budget, and he finds a place. Yeah, let's put him underground. And I, and I, I do like where he's taken us, like taking us even further where humanity's at. Mm-hmm. Like, hope is gone. Yeah, it, it's like this last group, as far as you feel, in this bunker. Yeah. And they can't accomplish anything. Well, because well, each one has progressed. So yeah. night, night it, a lot of people weren't aware that anything's happening. Dawn, there's a lot of zombies. And then Day is just like bereft. Yeah. Dawn, I think, is a more fun movie. And I think Day is a scarier movie. I think oh, yeah. the gloom and the dread with the special effects, it's just, it's well, it's the scariest zombie movie. Vinny talked about it with Dawn was, you know, you have zombies, but it's people. Because then, I mean, imagine being trapped with some of the people that they were trapped with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. All right. Uh, 1988, we get monkey shines. Um, this was something that I remember, uh, I, I rented probably when it first came out. And I think this is one of his first, uh, it's not really straight horror. It's, it's more like a, to me, it's a throwback to Hitchcock, to be honest. And, mm-hmm. and it's definitely more thriller 
um, finding horror and things you wouldn't think of traditionally for it. Yeah, and 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 I probably took more um, since I was watching it for this. Um, I mean, even just the opening scene, it's it's a young man who's like prime in his health, and and he you know he's working out, and he's going to be an attorney, and then just one little accident. And his his girlfriend doesn't even visit him in the hospital. Yeah. It's, it, it's probably like anything. If you think about it, it's it's everything a young man would fear. Like uh, just one accident, you've lost everything. And oh, yeah. and and as soon as he gets home, the first thing that they he's trying to kill himself with, which is that scene gets me every time too. With the they just walk in, there's a plastic bag over his head. Yeah, it's dark. I watched this is the first time I've seen this movie, uh, although the case from the video VHS still sticks out clear as day from all through my childhood in video stores. I can remember when I was younger thinking that was Skeleton Crew, the Stephen King book. Every time I'm like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, this is something else. <laughs> um, I watched it and I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It shows you, like it takes a thing like a capuchin monkey, which is so non-threatening but you add in all of a sudden you're a paraplegic it is threatening and it, and it uh puts me in the mind of what the last two chucky movies have been like uh, because you know this show hashtag just kick chucky yeah. uh but you've got you take that away when you've got somebody in a wheelchair you know what i mean all of a sudden the smaller threat becomes way more threatening mm -hmm. when you don't have use of your legs but, and to this degree monkey, or your arms. Let, yeah. like, let's talk about little threat. I have a thing about, um, I'm the not, I'm going to be real. I have a fear of birds yeah, the, and the damn parakeet. I would freak them. I would freak out now. When it was like, now. I would never be, I'm not afraid of birds, but when that bird was on his face yep. around his eyes, I was like, Oh, shit. which I wanted to say when you mentioned Hitchcock, when I watch this every time when that bird lands on his face, I always think of Hitchcock. Cause I'm like, this is just such a bizarre scenario. And it, but it's scary. It, it's kind of like the little things, things that, that we, you wouldn't normally think of. Now this guy cannot, he can't yes, move his arms, he can't move his legs. of being a of quadriplegic. And then even when his arm does move, nobody believes that it's happening. And Yeah, it's, I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. I, I actually really enjoyed it. smart film. I remember when this film came out, uh, I remember maybe seeing parts of it as a kid, but I have really no recollection. I bet you remember where she sits on his face. <laughs> woo 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 no I, I really have no real recollection of this film and I couldn't get around to watching it this time it has uh, some interesting uh, reanimator feel to it with you know like the, the guy we've got working at the lab and the situation back mm -hmm. home of where he's taken something kind of out of line to try and help further in the name of science and, and what he's trying to accomplish um, but with this it's, it's very understated with with the horror in this film and that's what i think is interesting about it is this this man who has made a career out of guts being ripped out um of you know creep show horror anthology and now we're taking a very real life idea mm -hmm. and we're not going over the top with it and we're making it where the audience are, are filled with the gloom of the situation this guy has been put in yeah. it all kind of makes us force uh to look at our basic luck in everyday life because as he stated at the beginning we open with this guy who's in peak physical form which i'm not gonna lie i was actually eating buttery popcorn 
when they <laughs> open the movie and you see him down on the floor, butt naked, doing like crazy exercises. And I'm sitting that. there shoveling popcorn in my face. And I was like, oh, man, it's just not a nice moment. Yeah, but, uh, popcorn, you're like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Loser. But yeah, I just I think it's uh, just a creepy, gloomy movie. I think um, this probably has the best acting of any film he ever directed in it. I, can agree I thought that. it was just, I mean, it's top shelf, especially for not having uh, big stars. And someone we haven't mentioned is his wife, uh, Romero's wife, who is the nurse in this. She pops up in a ton of his movies, but this is one of her more prominent roles. Can anybody tell me, is it an awful fake beard or a real beard that looks like shit? Because I cannot tell. <laughs> I I watched and watched and tried to figure it out, and I can't decide which case it is. I think it's an awful real one. Yeah, because I, yes. I was like, oh, that's a terrible fake beard. And then another scene, I was like, wait a minute. I think that's a real beard that looks awfully fake. Um, there there was a couple things. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever thought this before until I rewatched it for this. Did the doctor paralyze him on purpose? Because steals girl. Yeah, because he hooks up with the girl. Um, they find out that if they would have just looked into it further, that you know, there's just this rare thing that made him paralyzed, not the accident. Because his arm starts moving. Did the doctor do something to him? Interesting. And then also, um, it's the first time I checked out the uh, Scream Factory with like the deleted scenes. Mm. Um, mm. and so there, uh, there's obviously a connection as it goes further with the monkey, where like the guy has fangs and. And he starts getting angry. Yeah, that was a little weird. Um, and there's yeah. a weird deleted scene that's an alternate ending where the the um, the guy that's still in the things out of the refrigerator at the lab, mm-hmm. he is he says some of the same things that the guy said. And like uh, when he goes in, like the monkeys are like are all over him, and so it's like uh, these angry monkeys are in his mind. And then other than that, like could you find a I've always found it disturbing when the monkey does attack him and he's got to fight it. That is still this cute little monkey. So <laughs> he bites that. Yeah, because it shakes it like a dog. That's almost <laughs> a, every time I watch it, it's just disturbing for me to see that scene. Yeah, and it's very sad too. Because I mean, initially this this was this guy's lifeline. It's the one thing he had that was keeping him feeling good about his existence. But yeah, I would recommend this one. Cool. All right, uh, 1990, uh, we get a new partnership with Clive Barker, which is Two Evil Eyes. Um, I'm not sure if this was made for TV, but that's where it ended up. Um, and I, I didn't get to re-watch it for this, but I've seen it several times, and I saw it when it came out. I would say um, my only biggest disappointment, and kind of similar with Stephen King's It, I know a lot of people cherish that movie now, but um, they're great movies. But in the 90s, made for TV, you were very limited on what you could put on. Where now you could you could say fuck and and you could show you can show boobies and well, what surely you watch yeah, it? I was boy. gonna say surely though this was made for like Showtime or one of those. No, it was it came on like is, it came no on Fox. Aired on it, it aired on Fox. <clears throat> the violence on this I is want to see a fight extreme. It aired no, on Fox. Saying. sir. Okay, but you know there. Well, you know, and there could be there's heads blown off. There could be additional scenes that was added into the video release. Yeah, but uh, I have not seen this one. It's interesting to watch just because it's a it's a revisit of Argento and Romero from the Dawn of the Dead days, uh, with them each doing a post story, Hmm. and it's basically uh, split down the half, a roughly two hour movie with each of them being about an hour, Um, and Romero's. 
we have Adrian Barbeau. Was his um, was his Poe that he did? Did one of them do Poe for this story? Or? They both are. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. Where did I get Barker from? Did he write one of the? Mm, I don't know. Argento did the other one, okay. but um, with with that, uh, we, I can't remember the title of the of the Poe story. Anyways, Adrian Barbeau is uh, married to a wealthy man. She is clearly just a gold digger waiting for him to die. Uh, she is involved with a guy helping. Uh, waiting for the money. And it's basically about them getting it underway. And then he has to stay alive a set number of days for it to be in effect. Uh, yeah. And he dies. Like basically when she gets home. And so they're like putting him in the freezer and then they're like, wait a minute, he is moaning for us and he will not die. And I mean, at one point she's like blowing the back of his head off all over a wall. Wow. He's walking around the house, moaning at him and talking uh, ultimately seeking revenge on him. And the, the grand finale of it is, is a very memorable scene with the, with the metronomes, the tickers that he would keep to help him sleep. Um, and that gets ripped down into the guy that had been helping Adrian Barbeau's character. And it's one of the more, uh, great Savini effects in any movie. I mean, it's jaw dropping still. Like you watch the making of and see how they do it. And you still, when it happens, it's like, Oh my God god but yeah it's it's definitely worth checking out especially if you like romero and argento it's an interesting uh marriage with them each tackling a different short story from poe uh argento does a variation on the black cat which is a very short story so it's very liberal with mm-hmm. with where it goes with mm-hmm. that but i don't spend time on that and it has a great opening with uh poe's house in baltimore and talking about him oh, cool. and then it jumps into their stories so it's an interesting one nice uh, I will say one to add in that we kind of skipped over, but he did not direct, but 87 was Creepshow 2. Right. Uh, again, Stephen King, Romero. Um, I think stories based off Stephen King, Romero wrote, mm-hmm. and then a different director. Right. Right. Um, do you want to add anything to Creepshow 2, Vinny? Or? No, I think we I think we already hit that. Um, okay, and then also 1990 was Tells from the Dark Side of the Movie. Um, she, Again, I don't think Romero directed. It was the different director, but uh, there was a segment that was based off. Uh, I think he wrote one of the stories. The cat. Yeah, which was, mm-hmm. and then Stephen King was thrown in there. Well, um, it was kind of a should have been Creepshow three. Right. Um, anything for Tales from the Dark Side? Good shit there. Another it's another horror anthology that I enjoyed from back in the day, but I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. But yeah, I, I obviously I love those types of things. So that yeah. was another one that I really enjoyed. Okay, and then uh, continuing with Stephen King is 1993's The Dark Half, which was a Stephen King story that Romero did the screenplay and directed. Unfortunately, another one I've never seen. I, I I think I went to the theater and saw this, and I had read the book. No, I've always liked the dark half. Yeah, I, I was always a fan of the dark half, if nothing else, because that was at that point I was allowed to consume Stephen King basically in all directions. Mm-hmm. I, before it was more just a wonder and fascination with stuff that I wasn't really allowed to get into. Right. With the dark half at that point, I'm in a Stephen King, and this is a new movie, okay. and I can remember the book coming out, and so I think this is his last piece of um, great filmmaking Mm -hmm. i think land of the dead has merit um but i think the dark half kind of ends uh his his great run right um 
with that. I mean, he, he just had some souring situations with it. Um, I know that he fought for Timothy Hutton to be the lead, and then Hutton tried to get him fired as soon as he started. Hated Romero. Um, but I think it's a, a great-looking film. It's well-paced. I think the concept for it is interesting, uh, which basically the concept for it is a horror writer uh, is doing it under a fake name, kind of like Stephen King did with, like, Bachman and mm-hmm. all that. But it's uh, found out he's being uh, threatened, uh, extorted for it because he's got a teaching career and he doesn't want to associate it with it. And so basically he does a publicity thing where he's, he's killing the writer and they put up the headstone for it. The problem is the writer and, and what he's writing become manifested into a reality. Okay. And so the dark half. And so that you trace back to him as a kid and him having an eye during a surgery in his brain. And is there really another person going on here and it's it blends in between that okay but it's it's got great effects um nice gloomy mood to it i think the movie would have been better and more well remembered with somebody other than timothy hutton i mm-hmm. think he's kind of just flat and i don't yeah. really buy him as the bad bad yeah. part of him but it's still a good movie yeah enjoy it it's definitely when i watch it it it, it definitely has remembrance stamp all over it but like again it's the stephen king with which usually deals with some kind of writer and yeah yeah but oh also it has the dad from silver bullet as a journalist the one that the, the, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> so you get him with a ponytail in there as a journalist nice, nice. <laughs> okay uh didn't we get the drunk dad from silver bullet and night riders and that him like cussing and carrying on at the beginning. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so. which he's also the guy in Dawn of the Dead that blows the head off the guy. That's right. In the, the building. Guy. Yep. So he must have been a Pittsburgh guy. Yeah. So uh, almost like a decade later, uh, our our new millennium, we get Bruiser. Um, two thousand. Uh. <laughs> Released I, in Europe as clunky. I I, wa- I watched this on video when it came out and and. This movie never stuck with me so much that all I could remember was this guy like kind of almost has zero personality that he wakes up with this mask on his face. And that's all I could remember of this picture. Um, and then you had you had mentioned uh, that it was kind of like his sellout movie and, and really rewatching it. It kind of felt that way. I'm not to say that Romero doesn't deserve to sell out, but for a guy that doesn't sell out. It definitely... Yeah feels like a movie that was made in the early 2000s like the look of it there, there's that odd like wish there's that odd and all period those. of movies from at some point in the 90s through the early 2000s and every, everything they have, but just have a weird look they have everything but clean everything yeah. but the kitchen sink thrown in like they're digital. like yeah it's a horror movie you should put the misfits in here and, and you should yeah, have this the, the, and... the michael graves misfits are in this movie <laughs> performing <laughs> on a stage uh the the guy who plays the character Henry, our, our main main guy in the movie, uh, recognized him. He played Henry Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, like, the movie had me totally interested in it, and I was like, man, I just is so weird that I want to see where it goes. But it's one of those that when it wraps up, it wrap everything has been so weird that. As it ends, I was like, well, I enjoyed watching it, but I don't think I like, I don't think I got the ending I wanted out of it. I don't, I don't think I got a feeling of closure out of 
that I want, or an explanation. How about just an explanation of what I just watched? Yeah. Uh, it's it's a bad American Psycho. Is it? Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, I agree with that. Um, it's different enough that I enjoyed watching it, but at the end of it, I'm just kind of perplexed, and I don't know that it's something that I'll ever revisit again. Uh, but it was different, and, I, yeah. and I'm always I always want to see different. I get tired of seeing the same rehashed shit over and over and over again. So it was nice to see something that that went a different direction. But watch it if you want. <laughs> if you don't want, you're not going to miss out on something that's totally mind-blowing or, or groundbreaking. All right. Uh, then, well, I'll talk. I was, didn't know if you uh, had anything yeah, that's, else to that's, say about That's it. everything I had to say about Bruiser. I was just going to say, it, it's, it, it feels underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it could have been made by anyone. There's nothing about this movie to me that says George Romero is making this movie. I agree. And so yeah, Pittsburgh, like there's no, there's no Romero. Touch. Yeah. This was released. Was it filmed and released in Canada initially? I believe. Yeah. He eventually ended up in, in Canada for good. And I think that, um, this was filmed there. Um, it's, it's the problem with this is it, it at times feels like it's almost trying to be like avant-garde, but, yes. but it's, but the problem with that is you can't really do that. If you're telling, you know, tr- different storylines that have been done to and the death. guy who played milo the guy from, was he from boondock saints or some shit yeah the character was it wasn't that they and because they did intend for you not to like this character yeah. they did but i didn't like the actor playing the character like it Man. was so annoying but not the way they intended it to yeah be. it just it feels like disenchanted filmmaking. Um, it kind of goes along in the same lines of the way Carpenter's career has went, where he had this amazing run, and then he tries to come back a little bit, and he just says, screw you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, it doesn't have the heart in it that his filmmaking did before. I mean, if you you could even trace much of, of this storyline back to stuff like Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's just, a, there's dozens of other films it's that the, are doing a lot the of the same stuff. The downtrodden guy. Yeah. Who finally gets sick of it and fights back. It, it's trite. Yeah. So with this one, this is another where I would only recommend this is if you're trying to check off every movie yeah. on his list. There's nothing about this uh, that celebrates George Romero and his filmmaking style. This is pretty pedestrian. Um, it's just another movie. Okay. All right. So we moved along to 2005. And uh, moving up to this point, at, in 1990, we got a Night of the Living Dead remake, which Romero definitely like had his hands in because this is where they get paid mm-hmm. uh 2004 which i love yeah a, a great remake 2004 dawn of the dead remake great yep uh a shitty day of the dead remake is in the works at this point point. Oh, and so um this is his first studio dead movie universal gave him a shit ton of money to make land of the dead so 2005 hated it i i was saying on the way up i saw this in theaters As i I was highly disappointed, mm. but I will say this: every time I watch this movie, I like it more. Land's growing on me. I don't know the the thing that bothers me the most is watching zombies pick up weapons. But it does so and like that. This so is part takes me out of. But it. this is part four, and if it, I've never really watched it um, together. And, and and again, you think more when you're you're. We got to talk about it, but I feel like. Uh, he was a continuation of Bub. And it did feel weird. And then I think that's why I hated it the first time. 
But uh, I was also mentioning that in Day of the Dead, this is what we were supposed to get because financiers fell out. They took it under underground. And so this is the movie we were supposed to get for Day I of the Dead. I feel like at this point, I feel like, number one, the zombie movies are all downhill from here. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I the social commentary was so heavy-handed. Well, there wasn't really a new message in this movie. It was so heavy-handed what was there, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel that there was any of the subtext that there had been in the past. I feel like it was very overt. It was very clear what he was trying to do with it. Um, do you think a budget hurt him? In some ways... Like, like I, think about in, the in actor. Some, in some ways, and all his with other... guys, with, with people who are filmmakers like Romero, I think I think that sometimes too much budget can hurt you because you become creative when you have less to work with. Well, not only that, and but I, the, and, the and, other and, Dead films had unknown actors. And this yeah, one was everybody I just, is everybody. I really don't care for this one. I really don't. And you can like them. Yeah. My opinion hasn't changed on this or any of his, his subsequent zombie films of the, the new era. I just don't care for them. Yeah, I still don't care for the the final two in Diary and Survival. Land, I'm starting to see a little bit more in it. I'd say Land's not terrible yeah. compared to the next two, but at the same time, I saw this in the theater and was just kind of like, oh my it's, god, it's, really. it's leaps away from the, those last. Have you two. watched it? I mean, yeah. it's it's certainly much better. Huh? Did but, you watch it for this or? No, but I've, that's a, I've watched that's it three times. Yeah, I you know, and it's not the best movie, but I I do feel every time I watch it, I like it more. It's mm-hmm. it's still weak. You like so, what you like. Yeah. Well, I can't say that I, I like it. I love this movie. <laughs> uh, so moving on, and we'll just combine them. We get Diary of the Dead 2007 and Survival of the Dead 2009, which at this point, like Land of the Dead was a continuation of Day. I don't know where these even these fit in. These don't feel like They don't even fit. Like Di- Diary these was... These feel like he put the other Dead. Ching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Di- Diary was like... They didn't even know what was going on, so we're back to Night of the Living Dead. But it Zombie Craze is in full swing at this point. Yes. Right. Walking Dead is a bona fide hit. Uh we're in full swing. And and and, then and so- it's just grab. well and, and, and maybe not so much Walking Dead, but things like uh the remake of, of The Remakes of were Dawn, big, yeah. The twenty eight days later, which you can argue is an infection movie, but it felt very much like that remake yeah it was that uh, things are in full swing so now it does feel like romero's Zom- like, zombies are irons the, hot zombies are the thing of the week he's like iron's hot if people are gonna be making money off of modern zombies i'm the motherfucker who made modern zombies <laughs> i got fucked straight out of the gate on this i'm gonna cash in somehow and i can't be mad at him for it and i'm not mad at him for it but they're <laughs> oh no i think you are no i'm just kidding they're <laughs> just, just kidding. uh I'm they're, ready to close the episode just on that quote right now. They're here. just weak <laughs> entries compared to what we had gotten from him in the past. It, this was mentioned earlier by Ryan, and I, I agree. But the, they're not they're not horrible pictures, but the fact that Ramiro did them. Right. Like like this could have been anybody and it'd be like, Man, Diary was Diary was did you guys see Diary of the Dead? Not bad. But when it's Ramiro yeah. and this is like five and six of the dead. Yeah, franchise I, I guess at this point um i am interested to see his final his final dead picture which again is road of the dead road of the dead um, roadhouse <laughs> roadhouse but yeah and i'm not 
I probably have seen both of those movies once, and I'm not a fan to rewatch them. To be to be real, I was foolish enough to think Diary was decent the first time I watched it, and then the second time I was like, "Oh God, what were you thinking?" And then you're mad at the movie and yourself. Yes, and then of course, uh, Land. I know what's the last one. Uh, survival. Wasn't survival, that like kind of yeah. like the? It was a poor man's Hatfield and McCoy's. <laughs> Grace and the Clampets. Irish people. <laughs> it, yeah, it was dumb. AKA doo doo. Yeah, doo doo city. <laughs> so yeah. Anything else? That's it. Yeah. We're, we're to the end of the line here. We have made... I've movie. got 30 more movies I'd like to discuss. Uh, Ryan would like to now talk about <laughs> all the shorts. <laughs> so all that being said, folks, thanks for bearing with us through this episode. Uh, a tribute to uh, one of the legends of the genre. A fantastic human being. Um, made some great movies. Made some interesting movies. Made some movies you probably don't need to watch. But uh, I think we'll be seeing his legacy in, in lots of films and, and works to come. His influence will be so. Wrapping up the George Romero tribute episode. I'm your host, Grizzly Abner, joined by Professor Wagstaff. Hot Todd. Spinning. Thanks for joining us, friends. Stay scared. You're ignorant. Thank <laughs> you.